0: How you all doing tonight? Mm. I know the Air Force is struggling. They're trying to figure out what happened on Saturday. They're not quite sure what hit them. <laughs> they were going undefeated and the Army showed up. And they fell apart. Nothing like falling apart on your home field, right? <laughs> That's probably it. <laughs> they're playing up in Denver. Something going on with that field up there. All right, Pastor is off to down at Sagoo this uh, this week. Uh, those who don't know, he's on the board down there, one of the boards down there, and so he's. It's homecoming week, and so they're all gathering down there to do business. Also, so he's down. He'll comes back on Saturday. Um, but uh, so you have me tonight and been going through what I'm going to talk about and praying about it, seeking God and what could not be shaken is dealing with the Middle East pastor's been talking about it, he talked about Magog Gog and Magog on Sunday he's been talking about Ezekiel and a lot of times in our American faith, I'll put it in that terms, we think America is a big, important place and its impact. And we have had a great impact in the world. This is true. But when you get into Scripture, we find the central areas there in the Middle East. And I became, I've i always been intrigued with the Old Testament and the biblical areas out there in the Middle East. Uh, but also to include Paul's missionary journeys, things of that sort, have always intrigued me and just interested me. Uh, and the interest became even greater once the army said, guess what? You get to go play in Iraq for a year. And you read about these areas in the Bible and they just come to life when, you when you're there, even if you're in the middle of combat. Um, your mind starts flooding with all this contextual imagery uh, of places in that area. And and really, I did not realize until I really got into country there uh, back in 0405 how much Iraq played a part in the Bible and in that land. And so... I want to talk about that a bit tonight, just to understand in this end times, as pastor talked about Gog and Magog, and the emphasis into that region and the importance of that. When you look through the Bible, and it is always pointed in that area, God could have chose any other area in the world and chose that area, and you begin to really look at the geography and what was consistent in that, you get a better understanding of what you're reading. For instance, in Genesis, when we look at Genesis and you look at the Garden of Eden, if you haven't ever pulled out a map and looked at a map at the same time you're reading through the Bible as a whole, but you're reading through the start of it, you don't quite get a good picture. You're trying to imagine it. And you begin to realize as you read through that and you pull out that map and you start mapping out What's being talked about, you begin to realize the Garden of Eden was fairly large because it stretched across that Middle East area. In fact, I would go as far to say that much of what was promised to the children of Israel, to Abraham, really encompassed the Garden of Eden. And as one that's been over there, I had a friend of mine, Didi and I are originally from northern Nevada. And I had a buddy of mine who used to give me a hard time when I said I was from Nevada. He says, isn't that where God ripped the Garden of Eden out by the roots? <laughs> well, considering it is considered we've got what has been known as Las Vegas and Sin City and all the uh, things we have out in, in Nevada that uh, go against the Bible. It's no wonder he said that. But when you consider the places of the Middle East and you see the, that region and the desolateness of that region, you can literally see how God could have pulled the Garden of Eden out by the roots there. So the region is important. And speaking of that, uh, if you have not seen it, uh, there is some flyers out on the table out there. For a man that is coming on the 14th of, uh, 14th of December, it's going to be at 6.30, that is a Thursday, uh, that's going to come talk about the truth and relevance about Palestine, Islam, and the Israel war. So you'll probably be interested in that. Uh, put it on the calendar, take time. There's another event that I just got the cards for today that Pastor will talk about that's upcoming. Uh, concerning praying for Israel. But it's important for us to understand where all this is taking place, and why is this important? Well, it's important to God. It's a central area that he has chosen to take in and have a lot of things take place in the world. So let's take a look at Genesis 15. We're dealing with Abram, Later to be known as Abraham, and we're dealing with the fourth promise. There's several promises God has made to Abraham up to this point. They're all very similar promises. They just build upon one another in more detail. It says later the Lord spoke His word to Abram in a vision. He said, "Abram, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great." Now, if God came to you in a dream in a vision. Spoke to you personally and said that. Don't you think you'd live your life a little bit different as far as trusting what he says? As far as what's going to take place? I know I would. I would think I would. Abraham asked, Almighty Lord, what will you give me since I'm going to die without children? Eliezer of Damascus will inherit my household. You have given me no children, so this member of my household will be my heir. God has already told him, "I'm going to give you somebody. You're going to have children all over the place, generations of children, being a father of nations." So He's already told him that. And where was Abraham's faith? Abraham's faith was not in trusting what God has. I like these moments in the Bible because oftentimes, and I'm going to do a little plug here uh, on Tuesday mornings. If you want to get up early, you can join me and two others who have been doing this for a while. Six o'clock in the morning, I cook breakfast and we, we've been studying the, the Bible and we've been going through Genesis. So, a slight plug on, on that. But when I've talked talk to them, we've been talking about, we've been looking at through the Genesis and beginning to get a real picture of some of these characters in the Bible. Oftentimes, when we look at these characters in the Bible, they are just that, characters. They are the Sunday school image in our mind of these people. We think of Abraham, and we think this, mighty guy, this guy who was mighty of God, had a great faith. God did great things with him. We think David, the same thing. Yet, if we really get in and begin to read their stories, we find that, hey, guess what? They're no different than you or I which to me is encouraging. It's encouraging you to me because when I see that here is a man that God has told him directly, I got a promise for you. And he still makes some, some bad choices. I don't feel so bad. Not in the fact that I need to make, I shouldn't make better choices, in the fact that God can still work through me in spite of my choices. God still worked through Abram in spite of his, really, his stupidity. His unwillingness to trust fully in God. His, his, his willingness to push God's agenda himself. And that's what he's doing. So God has already spoke to him. And he said, you know, God, you haven't given it to me yet. So, you know what? I'm going to take it out on my own, and here's what I'm going to do. How many times do we do that in our own life? I mean, it's kind of like the building here. God told pastor, we need to build. Through pastors, through the board of several years now, we've put putting money away. We've been doing various things of upgrades, trying to keep the church going in its facilities while building up to doing a building. And those of who are here Sunday saw the new virtual uh, video that shows what it's going to look like and we'll get that out on the wall Uh, hopefully tomorrow I'll get it up and running we could take and try to force the issue or we could just do our part fighting with God and knowing that God's timing is perfect but how many times has God said hey I'm going to do something in your life and we just sit there we, we take and go okay God and then we go try to enact that ourselves, ahead of God's timing. I would say it's too often that we do. So Abraham decides to spoke to poke the bear and said, "You know, God, you haven't given that promise you made. You haven't done it yet. So this is what I'm going to do." And here's God's response. Getting in the right spot here, sorry. Verse four, then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. It's kind of like I told you, "What are you doing this? Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham believed the Lord. And the Lord counted him as a righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, "I am the Lord who brought you out of your of the Chaldeans, to give you this land as your possession." But Abram replied, "O Sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? What a brave man, or very stupid." God just said, hey, I'm going to give you an heir. Go count the stars if you can. That's going to mean the number of your descendants. And he says, I believe you. And then a few seconds later, he's questioning him. None of you have ever done that, right? God said, hey, I'm going to do this in your life. I got a purpose. I got a plan. I got got something for you. And you go, I believe you, God. And then you turn around and God says, here's what's going to happen. And you go, I don't believe you. The Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then The Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years, but I'll punish the nation that enslaves him, and in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will turn here to this land. For the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. What's he talking about here? You recognize it? To help you out, if we go back one chapter, he's, he's gone. There's been a famine he's gone to Egypt. And he's come out of that. He's come out of Egypt and now God is telling them what's going to take place. I'm talking about when the children of Israel end up in Egypt and enslaved for 400 years. He's given him a, a, an information about what's going to happen in the future, far in the future, with his descendants. They the, will oppress the slaves for 400 years, but I'll punish the nation that enslaves them. and then they will come out with great wealth. and that is what took place. You remember, Joseph went there. He rose up. Brothers came. He kind of take, took and played some tricks on them, not that they didn't deserve it. And there was famine in the land. He told them to bring the family here. They moved there, and the Israelites grew tremendously, but they became slaves to the Egyptians. And when they left, not only did the Egyptians kick them out, they said, here, take all of this with you and go away. So God's given Abraham a heads up. This is what's going to happen. And then they're going to come back to this land here, but it's not ready for their, the destruction. There, there's things that's going to need to take place. It's like we're waiting in for the same thing in this world. We're waiting for that promised land, and God's saying it's not yet. It's not time yet for the punishment to come. Well, part of the thing that he's holding back is wrath for us today is simply so that we can spread the word, share the gospel with the world. Because God really doesn't want one to perish. And he will bide his time that one may be saved. But there's going to come a time that there is no more time. And he's going to say the punishment comes now. So here we see this and the same thing. He says, it's not time for these in this land to be punished. But there's coming a time. Verse 17, after the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking firepot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants. All the way from the border of Egypt, to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by the Kenites, Canaanites, Ken- Kadamanites, Hittites, Prezites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergashites, and Jebusites. So let's take a look at what that looks like, okay? Here is what is supposed to be Israel. All the way over in Egypt, Fall in the river there, over across to include some of Kuwait, at least half of Iraq, and up into Turkey and back down. Now, just leave that up for a moment. Just to let you get an image of what is being talked about in this passage, okay? That's quite a bit of land that they're supposed to have. They are only living in a very small part there that's a little bit north of Jordan. Considering what they were promised and what they have, who's actually the occupiers? Now, you've got to understand, for me, For 38 years, I was supposed to be apolitical. I have plenty of political opinions. I don't always express them well, and I'm getting easier and used to that over this last year after retirement. But when you consider what they're supposed to have, and and oftentimes we hear about the occupiers, they need to get out of Gaza, and they're talking about the Israelites. And there's that one part of that poem that they have that talks about from the river to the sea. They want to get rid of them? Well, what river do you think they're talking about? To me, my, my thinking is over here from Euphrates all the way over. In other words, the area that God promised, they want to get them all out I don't think they're just talking about along the edge there I think they know what scripture has but that's what's supposed to be so what happened Why isn't Israel occupying that area? Why is there an issue? This is not, unless... It's even work magic. This is not on... uh, Not going to be on the screen, but... We simply have to turn one chapter to see part of the issue. Chapter 16. It's in the first few verses here. It says, in beginning in verse 1, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abraham, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abraham, this is all your fault. Of course it is. Well, let's, let's look at reality, though, okay? This is the same issue that Adam had with Eve. Eve ate of the fruit. Adam had the responsibility to rebuke Eve and tell her no, because we see throughout Scripture We are to care for and be a covering, spiritual covering for our families. And Adam had the opportunity to say no, rebuke her, and they could still be in the Garden of Eden. But instead, he gave in instead of taking the responsibilities he's supposed to have. In the same situation here, very similar, A situation of disobedience. Right? Yes, Sarai had the idea. Sarai presented the idea to Hagar, to Abram about Hagar. Right? God spoke to Abraham already. He didn't say, Go get another wife and I'll give you a child. He didn't say have sex with somebody else and I'll give you a child. What did God promise Abraham? (coughs) He was going to give him a child. Abraham had the responsibility to tell Sarai, no, God has promised we need to wait. Now get it, it's hard to wait. It's not easy especially in this day and age, that we want the action quickly. we got fast food, fast microwaves, fast cars. We can get on the Internet and have the thing sometimes the same day, if not the next day, without even leaving our home. We don't always want to wait. Abraham wanted to make his wife happy. But disobedience always brings pain, sorrow, discontent, and challenges. When you choose to disobey God, when you choose to do something on your own, you have to consider the second and third order effects. What happens if you do it on your own? What are the results? So, yes, it's funny that she, and and I will tell you, when we went through this chapter at our men's breakfast, we had a good laugh. And then we got down to business on it. This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will, will show who's wrong, you or me. I did it, you did it, but hey, you know you're going to get all the blame. Because had you not done this, a bit of truth in it. So we see the first issue in, this, in the impact of this promise. Abram has intervened in, to God's order and structure. And he has taken it upon himself to fulfill God's promise. Disobedience does not get the rewards. But he had a kid. Eventually. Or you're talking about the one Hagar had, Ishmael. He did. But is the one that God used to, intended for the promise. It's not with the one that God intended for the promise. Because now we have an issue. Because as we continue this chapter, he kicks. Hagar and Ishmael to the curb. And it is out of Ishmael we have the Arabs. So the first impact to our map is his disobedience and unwillingness to wait on God. There's things that God has said he's going to do. He has promised that he's going to take and Provide us a new building. Our problem is are we willing to just take and do what we're supposed to do to get there and wait and abide for God to provide it? No, we want it now. We do. We need it now. There's no doubt about that. But at the same thing, if we take and go force our way through, That's just as wrong. It's in the same mode that a lot of people, when I retired from the Army, there's a lot of my contemporaries and and fellow soldiers who said, and one very senior chaplain said, essentially said, oh, you're only getting out because you weren't selected for promotion. And I told that general, I said, sir, no, that's not why why I'm getting out. Has nothing to do with the promotion. Because for me to get out because of promotion and God hadn't said told me to get out is just as disobedient as for me to stay when he said go. It is just as disobedient for Abraham to try to push God's agenda. than to not to follow God's agenda. What's God's put into your life and said, I'm going to do this, and it's been years now. And you're going, win God? And God says, not yet. And we want to go push the issue. We want to take and force it ourselves. There's things we need to do and, and develop in our life. There's things that within this church that's had to take place to bring us to a point to have a building. And there are still things, still things that I know God wants to do in preparation. One of that is in that preparation is we need volunteers. Amen. Because when we get the larger building, we're gonna get more people and we're gonna have to have more helpers to be able to do it. In the process, we're going to start three services on the 7th of January. And we need people. People for worship ushers, greeters, nursery, children's church, and and prayer partners and many other things. God has to bring us to the point that he needs us to be able to act on his promise. Is that frustrating? I'm sure that Abraham and Sarah were frustrated. I mean, it had been 10 years and saw nothing. So they're going we're gonna do it our way. Now Dee and I get this this challenge that Abraham Abram at this point, but Abraham and Sarah were having. Because Dee and I were unable to have children. But we felt the promise of children. We're going, what are you doing, God? We thought, okay, you are not giving it to us naturally. Then let's take and look at adoption. And so we started looking at adoption, and God said, No, that's not the direction I want you to go. But God, you gave us desire for kids. Your word says to be fruitful and multiply. You're not letting us adopt, you're not giving to us what are we doing? He said, wait. I have something. Wait. He didn't fully reveal it to us. We waited. We looked at all the other options. We continued to try. And we waited. That's so frustrating. It is very frustrating. It is frustrating. It is hurtful. It is painful when you see... People who are able to have children and yet don't want them that abuse them and, and things of that sort. And it can apply to any other aspect that God is working in your own life. And he's saying, not now, wait. And somebody else comes around with a child and you're still childless and it hurts. But you're told, Wait. We were married in August of 86, and it was 13 years, really almost 14 years, before we finally saw what God's plan was for our lives. And we almost missed it, because we were looking so much for one kind of box. That certain box is the way it should come. And sometimes we get in that mode of this is the box it's supposed to come in because this is the way God always works. And the box that we were looking for was either a child with adoption or giving birth. And we almost missed it. We kind of say we almost miscarried our first child because we didn't know and God allowed us to be able to reestablish because the way God brought children to us was He brought adults, young adults that needed a parental figure that didn't have the type of parents they needed that would both cheerleaders and hold them accountable. And so we weren't looking for adults. I mean, we weren't looking for this package of a full-grown individual coming in our life. But one by one, God began to add them to our life. And over 24 years, 23 years, 22 years or so, he has given us at least 10. 10 plus they started off just individually mentored and guided and over time they started calling us mom and dad they weren't legally tied to us in fact we didn't know there was such thing as adult adoption (laughs) until number 10 came along about three years ago and asked us to adopt her because you're too old she said no you're not so we looked into it now we have seven of the ten God's still doing things in our lives with that I'm not sure what he's doing but the point of this is is not about us it's about the fact that we were faithful and we waited and then God showed in abundance it's not fun waiting it can hurt but there's growth that comes from it he didn't bring us the perfect children but he brought us those that have grown us spiritually even if they weren't spiritual themselves at the time because God's got the perfect plan for our lives. And the minute we try to circumvent his plan and try to put our own selves into it, it creates challenges. There's second and third order effects. And we see that today with Israel. When we look at that map again. We can bring that up again. we look at that map. It's really Ishmael's descendants who was taken over to that promised area. Why? One, Ishmael should not even be in the picture, but it was because man tried to take and do what God said he would do. God's promised you something in your life, He's promised something for your family, for you as an individual, and you've waited, and you've waited. And it seems like, God, have you forgotten? There was times we said, God, are you forgotten? 14 years. But he didn't forget us. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten the promise to you. He hasn't forgotten the promise that says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves... And pray. I will pour out. Sometimes it's about taking and getting yourselves into the place that God wants you to be. It's about taking and chopping the things off that shouldn't be there. It's a reason scripture says change the way you think and act. It's not just about the fact of God impacting your life and changing it through you asking him into your life. He does that but there are things that you must choose to get rid of in your life that God says that's not fitting you right now. There's a young man over in the Southern California area and he just randomly takes and at times calls different churches around the country instead of dealing with a church in his area because he doesn't want them to uh, know what he's going through, I guess. So he called last week and I talked to him for probably an hour or so. He called again today. And God has asked him to drop some things out of his life and it's tough. He's challenged with it. And it's not that if you look in the Bible that it's a sin, it's coffee. How many here, if God told you to give up coffee, how easy would it be? There'd be a lot of people sitting here jittering. (laughs) You're one of them. Possible. I drink about a cup a day. But it doesn't have to be a sin that God's asking you to give up. It's a matter of pure obedience. Are you you really willing to obey what God has to say? Follow him in what he has for you to do. Let me toss Didi under the bus for a moment. I've had for 37 years, so she's not. what else is new in this story she's used to anyway. Years ago, I think before we even got married, God told her, give up women's magazines. You know, like Good Housekeeping and whatever else is out there that really and generally is not a bad thing. But God told her, give them up. Leave them alone. Don't touch them. And she has. Not because... They were bad magazines, but because God said, do so. There's another time, this was about 92, 93, I think 92. We'd moved to Springfield, Missouri to go to seminary in 1991. And we went from California to Springfield, Missouri and went from making, we didn't realize we were making really good pay. Back then, we didn't realize how well we were being paid until we went to Missouri, and that pay was cut into about a quarter. Speaking of, side note about listening to God, I'll tell this story in a minute. So we went there, and she found a job fairly quickly, and I was without work for a while. Though God kept telling, essentially using other people to tell me where to go get a job, I refused to listen to where they told me to go get a job because I wasn't going to work at that place. There's no way. I know the horror stories. I never rode one of those, but I know the horror stories. But God was trying to tell me to go drive school bus. Handle evil, evil kids. Especially those back row kids. Yep. I can pretty much pick them out. <laughs> and I refused because I wasn't going to do it and I should have gone and done that. And it would have been making my life easier and I wouldn't have been kicked out of school either. But about 92, we were not being able to pay our bills. I mean, we had a car payment of $300, a Huh? Say again. Oh, 180 180 for a car payment, 300 for rent, something like that, a few other bills, whatnot. That added well over what I was making. And he says, I think God wants me to quit my job. Because scripture says you're supposed to be the one. And I prayed about it. And I go, okay, let's do it. And where we weren't paying, being able to pay our bills, we suddenly found that with obedience to God, we were paying bills off. There's no way we should have because there's no way I was making that money. In fact, we were paying $25 a month for groceries. $25 went a lot further back then. But still wasn't much. A lot of chili mac that we handmade. But obedience, God rewarded. My disobedience of not listening about going to get the job made life miserable. I found a job for myself, which was overnights, and and uh, didn't go to school all day, and started getting about one hour of sleep a night. My grades did not go up, and I was kicked out for a semester. So I understand those challenges some may be facing, but it's about obedience. I finally went and got the job at the school bus and made better money and got sleep and got better grades. Had I listened to God a year earlier, I would have been a whole lot better off. Because I did it my way and then listened to what God was saying at that time, it would have been miserable. There's second and third order effects of challenges of food and, and the house we were living in at the time, and a whole lot of other things. The challenge of Abraham not listening to God and doing it his own way, we now have the first impact upon the promised land. Now where God says, hey, this country's not ready to be punished yet. It will be. Now they got a whole bunch more problems. Right? We go a few chapters more to Genesis 25. And I believe we see another issue. Now, I don't think it was necessarily wrong that Abraham got married again. But when he gets married again, you look at the names of the kids he had in the first few verses there. It says one group is the is known as Syrians. <laughs> so what do we have over here? Full up the map again. Do you begin to see what, the problem that we have? How many have siblings? Anybody have siblings? Do you get along with them very well sometimes? Did you get along with them when you grew up when you were growing up? Maybe better now? Right Yes, yeah, so did mine. Uh, I got four. I have an older brother and a sister um, who are nine months and three weeks apart. That's close. It is very close. I came fifteen months after my brother. Yes. Uh, I came fifteen months after after my brother, and then I have a younger sister who's seven years younger than me and a brother who was 18 years younger than me. My brother and I often had challenges. One time he threw a dart and it stuck in my shin, which I proceeded to grab my BB gun and told him to run. Which he proceeded to find the shortest tree in our yard and climb it which allowed me to shoot him multiple times (laughs) as he hung in the tree. (laughs) Low, Low, very low-hanging fruit. Um, That was just one of the incidents. Another incident was because we were so close in age, we were one grade apart, so we played football in in the town I'm from. You showed up, you wanted to play, you got to play, you got to choose the position you wanted to play. My brother chose to be a wide receiver and a uh, uh, safety on defense, and I chose at 125 pounds to play on the line as a nose guard and right right guard. Mm -hmm. you got to compensate for quickness (laughs) when you're not large. But on this team, there were several brothers on this team, and so they always liked the brothers to go head-to-head in tackling drills, And in my case, I went up against my older brother and we did this tackling drill where they gave him the number of the hole to go through and I was supposed to react to it and across from me is my older brother. I want to give him honor and esteem and don't want to embarrass him and so he gets the number of hole, I go to react and it's a poor tackle. And the team reacts and they... Immediately demand a reassault. Okay, I let him say first face first time. I'm not letting him, I'm a little competitive. Um, so they give him the ball, they give him the hole to go through, and I laid him out hard enough I put his back out, enough to make him mad that I ended up walking home that night. About five or more miles. He had the car. Sibling rivalry, right? None of you have experienced sibling rivalry unless you're an only child. Everybody just has a great old time in their family, right? Well, when we look at the map and we consider the second wife's children, we considered Ishmael, what is the challenge we have in the Middle East? but sibling rivalry. That boils it down to a very simple equation. Because if the older brother is supposed to have all that land and the other brother grows and takes it over, what brings us to the other issue that we have of this promised land not being accepted. And it goes again back to disobedience because when we fast forward through the Exodus and Joshua is to take them into the promised land. What was some of the things they were required to do? They were to, required to wipe out nations, Right? And the animals. And what happened way too often? Didn't do it. They didn't do it. Saved the king, kept the save the king, save the people, save this, save that. Yeah. They compromised on God's direction. If you choose to compromise in your life what God has told you to do, you can't take and be complaining about the results of the, those actions. So they were supposed to go wipe out, take charge, seize the land. Instead, they compromise. We see it throughout the Old Testament. Kings of Israel writing treaties instead of doing what God asked them to do. Compromise, compromise, compromise. You put this in the spiritual prospect, okay? When you take this into your spiritual life and obedience to what God has asked you to do and you begin to compromise and say, well, God didn't really say this. We can do this and we still have. Well, God didn't do this. In your spiritual walk, you're going to end up in a place like Israel is today. In a fraction of what they're supposed to have. And just fighting to try to keep that because everybody wants to take them out. We know that they want to be taken out because they are God's chosen people. And those in that region understand this. This is not just about hate because of who they are as just individuals. This is talk about hate because who they are to God. It's the same reason why you see a lot of things trying to be enacted in this nation against Christianity, but you don't see that being enacted about any other faith. Because they know where the truth is. But the church today is compromising. If we compromise, we get more ground, so let's compromise in this region, in this area, in this. Well, the Bible didn't fully mean this, so let's widen our doors and have love and acceptance. When we as a body, as an individual, compromise in our faith, when we as a church compromise what the Word says, when we as a country compromise we end up in a smaller place than we really should have. So I challenge you tonight. What in your life have you compromised on? And you look at it and you're saying, "Why isn't my, my boundaries expanding?" God promised my boundaries to expand. Well, where are you compromising? Whereas God said, cut this out, and you've written a treaty instead. Whereas God said, wipe that out from your life, and you've had a part of it captured. Well, it's okay if I just capture, they're going to be a slave to me. Really? Are they? Is that really being a slave to you? Or are you a slave to it? When we compromise, we lose. The Israelites compromised, they are now trying to fit into a smaller area than they should ever have to. This region is important. God has made it important. That area that you see up in the red, based on what I read in the scripture, as I said it before, is just about what the Garden of Eden was. Essentially, he told Israel, I wouldn't give you back Garden of Eden. Plus or minus. God has promised you something in his life. He has promised Church of Briargate If we take and follow after what he's asked us, he's going to take and give to us what we need. I truly believe it was not just Pastor Scott who had the vision on his own for us to build. He's a man of integrity, a man of deep prayer, and a man that follows after God. And I believe God said, step out. We have a responsibility as a church to hold on to that dream, cover it in prayer, and be engaged with God and know that He will bring it about. There's a reason why Scripture says don't be weary in well-doing because it's going to probably sometimes take 14 years for God to reveal His promises to you, maybe more. I don't think it's going to be 14 years before we see a building. I truly believe it's going to be this next year. But we as a people must be prepared in ourselves and look within ourselves and find out what are we compromising that may be a hindrance in what God wants to do with Calv as a whole. And more importantly, what God wants to do in your own life. If you're feeling like you're in a smaller area than what you feel God promised you, better take a look. Are you fully in obedience to God? Or did one moment you say, I believe you, God, and the next moment you question him? God is an amazing God. Don't get me wrong. I haven't always been patient for God to do what he wants to do. Many times I have tried to push things through. And there has been times that I have held things back. When I was coming on active duty, I applied three times. Finally was picked up the fourth time. Applied three times. Got denied three times. On the surface, I know the reason why. Deep down... God told Didi the reason why. And I didn't like it. Because what he told her is until he's ready, I'm not releasing him. The reason I took six years to do a three-year program was tight squeeze getting those six years, th- three years in that six years. Mainly because of my disobedience, my fear, my unwillingness to give up the comforts of school to go do what I was supposed to go do. And I was graduated from my master's program and should have well easily moved right into active duty in 97. But it was two years later when I finally said, okay, God, I I give. Me, being disobedient, being fearful of what God promised, held back his promise. I believe the ones that became our kids would still have become our kids. It would just come a different way than it did. But I delayed because of disobedience and fear. Obedience has always brought blessings and rewards. God wants our obedience. What is it that you need to be obedient to? What have you been fearful of? Because, well, if I do that, then I have to be held accountable. Well, do it. Enjoy God's blessings for doing so. Maybe it's about sharing the gospel with a group, and you've been holding back. Because that's scary. Yeah, it is. Every time I get up here, I do with fear and trembling because I know it impacts eternity, not just physically. But I'd much rather do this than be disobedient to God. Let us and not in our lives become an Israel and reduce ourselves to a small plot of land. Let's take and allow God, to expand our borders as he wanted to for Israel. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we can look at scripture and it lays out time and time again what's going on in the Middle East. And one of the things we can see laid out is it's supposed to be a much larger plot of land that... The Israelites have, and yet they're reduced to a postage stamp. And we can point to many times, time after time, pure disobedience, unwillingness to obey you and do what you've asked them to do. Lord, let us not do that. If there's anyone here who is doing that, Heavenly Father, who is holding back you from expanding their boundaries because of fear, because they... Are disobedient to what you've asked them to do. Well, let them understand the third and second and third order effects and rather see what the blessing would be if they just would fall after you. Do what you asked them to do. Forgive us for disobedience, forgive us for hesitance, forgive us for, for fear. Hold you back, Heavenly Father, from us seeing the full reward we're supposed to have. Let us do what you've asked us to do and wipe out those things in our lives. Just show us. Show us what we need to do. Lord, we give you glory and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. See you Sunday.